Welcome to CBuzz, the Columbus Chamber of Commerce's award-winning podcast and Columbus's first business-focused podcast. Our show was presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. My name is Michaela Hunt, brand journalist and your host for CBuzz, where we go straight to the business leaders in Central Ohio to get their perspective on important and ever-evolving topics. We record this podcast at our home at Capital University's Convergent Media Center, a collaborative space for students and faculty to study music, film, creative writing, and digital media. We're excited to tell incredible stories through this platform. Today, we're sitting down with Sapna Welsh, founder and partner of Leverage HR, and Bob Welsh, partner of Leverage HR. Leverage HR partners with clients to create connected workplaces by developing leaders and crafting inclusive cultures. Connection is at the heart of everything they do because it is crucial for performance in the workplace. Leverage HR is diverse by design with consultants that deliver solutions in five languages, delivering tailored solutions to private and public sector clients Sapna and Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to have the conversation. Thank Same you. Here. Yeah, good to have you here. So Sapna, first of all, let's just talk, who is Leverage HR? Well, uh, started Leverage HR 15 years ago, and Leverage HR has evolved over time. When I first launched the firm, it was with three other women in the central Ohio area. We were all uh, leveraging, if you will, our prior experience with large corporations, and we brought forth training and leadership development solutions far more to a regional footprint. And over time, my goodness, um, Bob, who is here with me today as my partner, is also my partner in life. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I've worked with my partner in life before, so I understand that. There you so, go. So he came into the firm. Yes, he is actually my third partner in the firm. So it's part of the journey. Um, initially started with a far, far more regional footprint. And then it was Bob's role that took us abroad soon after launching the practice. And it was also when I met the woman that was my co-author of two books and my business partner for nearly a decade. And when she stepped out a few years ago, that's when Bob joined. It was probably only about three years ago. So it was a wonderful mentor that once told me leading an entrepreneurial business is like going down the freeway. And sometimes you realize you took the wrong turn and you got to keep driving until you get a U-turn. Sometimes you have to get off on the exit and reroute. And that's kind of been our journey with Leverage HR, but always focused on leadership development, executive coaching, and really creating inclusive cultures for organizations. So let's talk a little bit more about the philosophy behind what you do. I gave a little bit in the intro that I had, and you've shared a little bit more as well, but what do you guys really believe sets you apart from others? Yeah, I think um, part of what sets us apart is our, the values that we, we bring forward. So we actually use our values to, uh, that's the way we operate going to business. So if you think about it, it is um, personal. Uh, we're very personal, we're very collaborative, very tailored, and very impactful. So I think when it comes to personal, we spend a tremendous amount of time getting to know our clients, personally getting to know the organizations, really understanding what they need or what they don't need. When it comes down to collaborative, because we've already developed trust in those rich relationships, we come in as experts in our field, but we absolutely recognize that they're the experts on their organization. And so we have to collaborate. We have to come together to craft solutions that really work. The third part is in the way we deploy. 
And so we look at tailored, and I, I talk to people about the fact that organizations are dynamic, they are made up of people, and they're ever-changing. And so it's sort of like trying to take a kidney from one person and put it to another. You wouldn't just take a random one. You've really got to make it specific, right? Otherwise, you get donor rejection. And the same is true with solutions. So we make sure because we've had that personal relationship, because we're collaborating, when we put solutions in place, they're really tailored and tailored to make, make a, a very specific impact for the organization, which comes to our fourth value, which is all about impact. So when we work with our customers, because we uh, are upfront uh, so clear about what we're trying to fix, we can have strong metrics, and those metrics are both quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative, what are the business outcomes or the numbers, turnover numbers, whatever we're looking at. Qualitative, what are the cultural aspects we're trying to see change in the organization? So I think when we think about how those values not just drive the way Sapna and I go to clients, but the 20 absolute experts that we have, all with 20 years of experience uh, in our consulting pool, this, this allows us to really go to market strongly. So personalized. Sapna, what are some of the examples of these solutions that you provide for companies? Just give me a couple of examples. A good one might be a regional energy company. It was probably at the start of COVID. We started working with this organization, and Bob actually led a lot of their change management efforts and initiatives. They were rolling out a new technology solution, and they needed to increase adoption across the organization. So strategically, they knew it was an imperative in order to allow their business to grow and enable their business to continue to grow their footprint. And yet, adoption. Adoption is right. key, right? Right. So um, that was quite a... A uh, large, long initiative. And then there was silence for a while, quite frankly. The impact was there and the relationships were there. And then more recently, they have re-engaged with us now in a very collaborative way to roll out leadership development and organizational effectiveness solutions all the way from their executive leadership to their plant and field supervisors across the organization. I think it's a really good example of how we built the personal relationship, of how we truly collaborated with them to understand their culture and what would stick, how we tailored our rollout, and then how we measured impact. And sometimes in the field of work we're in, patience is key as well. And uh, when you do it right, we really believe that that's just one example of an organization that has come back to partner with us again. Because you've understood them and what they've needed and the results have come with that. Yeah. It's amazing. So I got to ask before we go any further, how did the two of you end up working as a husband and wife team? Well, as mentioned, uh, when Caroline stepped out about three, four years ago, Bob and I had been toying around with this idea for quite a while. We're fortunate enough to actually be in the same field. Did you meet in the field? No, we okay. met in college. You met in college. At GW. Okay, okay, <laughs> keep going, please. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in the same field, and Bob's career really took him down the path of continuing to stay in corporate and move into senior executive roles with Fortune 500 organizations, leading uh, learning for those organizations. Whereas about 15 years ago, my career, although also in a very similar field, led into the world of entrepreneurship and authorship. And uh, although we toyed around with it, 
We oftentimes shared ideas, coaching each other, supporting each other through tough times sometimes, and also being one another's best cheerleaders. The timing was just not quite right. So a few years ago, after Bob um, was fatigued from commuting, if you will, from here to Bonn, Germany for many years, wow. um, and then from to Philadelphia after that for a integration of two major organizations, we said, now's the time. And so, you know, as they say, history is his made. <laughs> <laughs> Have, you know, and as I mentioned, I've worked with my husband um, when I worked in news, co-anchored newscast with my husband. Have you ever had any obstacles or challenges working so closely together? Yeah. You know, they say that there is forming, storming, norming, and performing. So... <laughs> yes. Here's the good news. We went through that cycle really fast because <laughs> we knew each other so well. We knew each other so well. And sometimes the Dukes went up pretty hard with the storming phase because yeah. we knew each other so well. Um, but the good news is that we're actually celebrating our 30th year of marriage this year. So in addition to be able to, thank you. Um, in addition to be, being able to move through that quickly, we were also quickly able to realize one another's strengths and capabilities and how we could not just rely on one another, but play off one another. You're incredibly fortunate to be such leaders in your field and pe to be able to come together, at least from this vantage point, from my vantage point. For you, Bob, how do you handle those things? I appreciate the perspective, but as you look at it from your end of things, how have you handled all of it? Yeah. Well, as Sepna mentioned, it, there is the form, storm, norm, perform. It gets more intense when you know someone so personally, right? You just expect certain things to happen. Uh, the other part is that we had been in very different fields. So I was used to leading global teams and, you know, big initiatives. And so when I first came into the uh, firm, I, I think I had an idea about what I could bring. And what I had to learn was that there's this whole other part, being an entrepreneur, being a small business uh, operator, um, that Sepna had nailed and I had no idea how to do. It actually took me a while to sort of separate myself from, you know, I'm my whole my whole experience is about big organizations right. versus, hey, I'm really just going to show up as an entrepreneur, a small uh, business person. So I think she helped me with that. And to her point, as as we've sort of experimented with uh, different roles and responsibilities and, and through different clients, we've really found uh, a groove that works great for us. Um, one of the things that I think is so interesting, too, is almost immediately when we're talking to new clients, we'll, we'll notice, oh, they really... You know, they connect with Sepner, they connect with me. And it's not just a personal thing, it's also the approach we take, our personal approach to uh, um, solving problems. So that works out tremendously well, not just for us, but for our clients. This should be so encouraging to folks who have thought about going into business or maybe thinking about going into business with a, a partner, a spouse, a close family member, because there are ways to make this work that can really be advantageous to the business. It's, it's really a positive, encouraging note. So thank you for sharing your story on that. So how, Bob, do you work exactly with your clients? Let's get back into kind of tactics and some of those things. Give us an example. I mean, great example that Sapna shared earlier about yeah. um, kind of a solution, but tell us more about how you work with them, how you onboard, how you get going. Yeah. The, the biggest part is helping them to clarify the need. So when I was in-house, one of the things that would often happen is people would come to me and say, I have a problem. And I'd say, what was the problem? They'd say, I need training or I need succession support or I need this. And I'd say, well, actually, that's a solution. <laughs> what are we trying to solve for? Let's figure out what the actual issue is. 
And I think that's where we start with clients. Uh, we, we invest the time to really understand them, get to know them, understand their journey, uh, understand what they're trying to accomplish, understand what's already happened. And that first part, that personal part is so important because we can't even begin to craft a solution until we understand. I think the second part of it is, uh, and I kind of mentioned this, when, when we have these, um, uh, these relationships which are, are rich and deep, people are much more apt to put their voice in the room and be collaborative and try new ideas, right? Sometimes it's our ideas. Sometimes they're challenging us to do things differently. That's great. As I mentioned, they're the experts on their organization. So really that's where we come together to craft a solution. Once we're at that point, the, the magic for us comes in not just designing it to the point that the pace is right, that the language is right, that the examples are right, that the matches are right, but which consultants we're going to bring forward. Mm -hmm. Because that match is so critical because that's where we're starting to transition, not just from SEPNA and I, but to a broader group. And often uh, our consultants are involved very, very early on with us for that very reason. Um, but then we, you know, a lot of these relationships have extended uh, over a long period of time and really give us the opportunity to, to continue to grow. Another example I would give you, so a couple years back, we uh, started working with the CEO and um, his directs of about a $20 billion organization out on the West Coast. And we started out by doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and team coaching. So with two coaches that went in every quarter and spent a day with them. As we started to work on what they would do together, what they would own together, it became clear that they really needed to enlist their organization and their big ideas around AI and digitization. And so then they asked us to start facilitating strategy sessions with those groups or facilitated sessions, which we did. Um, we're now, um, I think, two and a half years or so into the relationship. And where we've evolved it now is we're actually starting to take the whole practice down to the director level. So their directs are now involved in one-on-one -on -one coaching and team coaching. Part of what they're recognizing is the power for them of creating a coaching culture. First of all, by experiencing it and then about learning about it. So this is a good example where um, we don't mind putting ourselves out of business, you know, what, like Sepna talked about, right? Uh, um, because they're going to come back to you with their next problem that really is a solution in the making. Yeah, yeah. And I think going back to that relationship, that trust, that's where they're willing to come back and say, you know, we understand what worked, what didn't work. They were partners they, with us all the way through it. And so we're going to continue with them on this next uh, part of the journey. So I'm hearing national clients, international as well. Yes. Why Columbus, Ohio? You're here, and I feel like we're so fortunate to have you here, but can you tell me, wh why are you in Columbus? We're both born and raised Ohioans. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And being a first-generation American early on when we were married, being close to my parents and allowing our children to have that connection to family was key to us. So... We mentioned that our business is values-driven. I suppose we are as well, and that was something we really valued. Fantastic. Uh, you know, my, my uh, siblings are, are here, uh, Sapna's siblings are here, so it's really nice because we have a lot of family in this area, so it's, it's home. Sapna um, or, or Bob, either of you, what major trends and changes have you seen really since starting? Sapna, you first leveraged HR back in 2006. I would say a few trends and changes that really jump out. DEI now has the spotlight shown on it, diversity, equity, and inclusion. There has been a democratization of learning as well as coaching. Mm -hmm. 
and then technology. So at a high level, those three things really jump out. So let me start with DEI, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, when I was first, first with Deloitte, I was actually on the ground floor of the rollout of the Women's Initiative, as well as many of their diversity councils. That was the late 90s. Um, I remember in the early 2000s being interviewed for D Diversity Careers Magazine when I was leading the DEI strategy for tech and ops at J.P. Morgan Chase. And it was still very much in the shadows. People weren't even sure what it was. And oftentimes it was very much a standalone solution. And over time, what I've seen as the uh, organization has evolved and as time has passed is that DEI now is integrally tied to uh, achieving organizational objectives. It's tied to the strategy. Uh, I'm not saying that that happens 100% of the time, but I'm seeing so much more of that. And it is a wonderful thing to see the spotlight shown on DEI. Uh, and I have the privilege and opportunity with working with a lot of international firms in some of their specialized leadership development programs where what we do is we focus on preparing high potential, high performing, diverse leaders to take the senior most levels of the organization and really influence the culture and create line of sight in order to create an even more um, uh, diverse and inclusive culture complete with stewardship, right? To bring on more diversity in thinking in thought as well as in representation. That's amazing. I mean, to hear you say that and to, and to know that organizations hire you to do help them do that, that's fantastic to know about. Thank you. Yes. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I feel privileged to have the opportunity to do that type of work. You mentioned the democratization of learning is another change that you've seen. Yes. It was just a challenging big word. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Did I pass? I, I think I might have. <laughs> Um, it truly is. It's wonderful. There are coaching apps that have been introduced, for example, and platforms uh, with technology being so prevalent. And so the great thing, anyone and everyone can have access, so to speak, to a pocket coach, right? Um, an example of the democratization of learning is there's so many different learning platforms now where an organization could truly say, hey, everybody could take on training. For that matter, as an individual outside of an organization, you could sign up on your own. So that's the beauty of the democratization. However, the challenge is if an organization truly doesn't understand the outcomes they're driving for, it might not be the right solution. Mm -hmm. We are not a large-scale platform-driven solution. And what we have found is that we have so many clients that we are able to really create tailored solutions around both learning as well as executive coaching that are very impact-driven, feedback-driven, and self-awareness-driven, and quite sustainable. So we believe there's a space for all, and um, it's a wonderful evolution since the time we launched the practice. And I believe the last thing I mentioned was technology. I think we all see what technology has done. Gosh, from the early 2000s when we had uh, learning platforms, self-paced learning to the acceleration through COVID with uh, technology being so prevalent, it impacts every space of the work we do. Mm -hmm. And more, most importantly, where we try to bring it in is in simple tools and techniques. For example, we use coaching apps where individuals can track 
the progress that they're making. And it's their honesty check-in, so to speak. So um, we'll leverage tools like that. We leverage an AI tool. So when we are working with leaders to prepare for pitches, for interviewing for those senior most level roles in organizations, for truly living their brand, for showing up with greater executive presence, they can actually practice through the use and leverage of this AI tool. Um, so we try to incorporate it where we can, always keeping in mind the impact that they're trying to create, the goals that they're trying to achieve, and also, quite frankly, to be um, affordable. Right. At the same time. Yeah. Technology, it's interesting. It's, it's so important to everything we do and important in your world from what you just explained, but also sometimes it gets a bad rap in terms of connection. So I, I find it fascinating too. You've mentioned, Bob, that more of your recent work has focused on workplace connection. Yes. Um, so let's talk about that. In this world of technology that we live in, what makes workplace connection so important? What, why, does, why is that so important to the equation here? Yeah. Um, great question. And connectivity, I, I would start out by saying we've been getting disconnected for a very long time. So uh, if, if you look at it from a historical perspective, going all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, when we started to specialize, we got great expertise in areas, but we already started to reinforce silos. By the 70s, we saw two trends really help accelerate that. One, a real focus and economic lens that said, if you can't measure it, it's not valuable, which, which was needed at that point. And the idea of continuous improvement. We're going to keep on driving better ways to do things. And we've been on that journey with those two um, lenses for about 50 years now. But in many cases, what it ends up driving is KPIs, so key performance indicators that actually conflict with each other, or budget decisions that actually minimize one part of the organization and have an indirect impact on another part. When we're talking to clients about this particular problem, I'll sometimes uh, give the analogy, if you buy a car, an automobile, and the engine goes bad, you don't blame the engine you know, department, you blame the automotive manufacturer. And, and that's kind of how it is for organizations. So we're seeing that whole trend uh, sort of happening in real time anyway, right? That's been going on for a while. Now, when you take into account two other trends from society in general, we have fewer, uh, you know, people spending less time with fewer people, finding themselves uh, uh, really disconnected from the kinds of systems where we find resilience, right? Um, workforces, we, in COVID, we really accelerated a trend that was already underway, which was we had people working in the office, we had people working hybrid, we had them working remote, and we had them working distributed. And now all of a sudden that has really accelerated with COVID against all these other backdrops. It's a bit of a perfect storm. By 2019, we were already seeing research that companies were trying to battle what they called over-collaboration or ineffective collaboration. So this is really a perfect storm that we've looked at and we said there is a solution, we believe, that works in sort of concentric circles. When leaders can be happy, when they can really uh, find ways to sustain themselves, uh, when they can be healthy, they create teams. And those teams are both inclusive and dynamic and innovative. When teams and you know have a collaborative spirit, when teams are operating like that, they can begin to connect with other teams across the organization with effective collaboration and really understanding clear line of sight out to 
whoever you're serving, whether it's public sector and their citizens or private sector customers. And in the end, the real win happens for those we serve because we end up having the right solutions. We end up funding things correctly. And there's a real accountability about, you know, the, the whole solution. It's not just my silo. So connectivity is a, is a health issue. Connectivity is an employment issue. Connectivity is a service issue for organizations. And it starts at the top from everything you're yes. describing. I mean, as leaders, we have to be willing to look at ourselves to see how we're doing in these areas to create a more connective workplace overall. Absolutely. So, you know, when I look back at the journey that Leverage HR has had and, and some of the information I was prepping tonight, Sapna, what, are, what is, do you think, your big, biggest accomplishment as an entrepreneur and business owner? I had a feeling you might ask that one. <laughs> uh, so I actually thought of a quote by Stephen Jobs, and it's, if you really look closely, most overnight successes took a long time. So it was pivoting. It was reinventing. In some cases, as a small business owner, when COVID hit, it was surviving. It was thinking outside the box. But I think um, the biggest accomplishment is being able to have successfully made that journey to a point where uh, we're very excited. Last year, we were recognized by Columbus Business First as uh, one of the top five diversity champions. This year, we were just informed that uh, I was selected as one of the micro-business level women entrepreneurs of the year. So I will be going down to Florida to receive that award. It's less about the recognition. It's more about the fact that we felt like we've made it the 15 journey. years. The journey, yeah. <laughs> the journey got you there, yes. yes. So you're enjoying some of that right now and then just proving yourself over and over with the results that you have and in incredibly smart individuals as I'm sitting here talking with you as well. And I, I don't work in the HR world. I work in the communications world, but understanding that from this conversation the level of detail you take a look at things within these organizations, uh, just fantastic, as I've mentioned. Um, what advice do you have for anyone looking to start, run, or grow a business today? Don't be afraid to ask for help. <laughs> that would be it, um, the long and the short of it. I know that along the journey of the past 15 years, I have been courageous enough to be vulnerable enough to ask for help. And I have been fortunate enough to receive that help time and time again. Sometimes the support came from unexpected sources. Perhaps it was a friend that was the promoter saying, please do a book launch. I'll plan it for you. Um, perhaps it was a, a group like um, Women's Presidents Organization, where I feel like I have the wonderful opportunity to be surrounded with a personal board of advisors. Sometimes it could even be family. So uh, wherever it's coming from, don't be afraid to ask for help. And thank you for the examples, because sometimes we say don't be afraid and we don't talk about it. So thank you for sharing some of those very specific examples. Bob, how do you, you're a family, mm -hmm. you are business owners. How do you balance and maintain all the commitments professionally, personally, and in the community as well, what you're able to contribute? Yeah, um, I'll use a term that comes from uh, Sepna and Caroline's first book. So when they were looking at how women, um, because at that point only about 17% of expat assignments were going to women, how were these women being successful? One of, the, one of the competencies that popped was something called conscious imbalance. 
conscious imbalance. Yeah. So I'm going to okay. do my best to kind of describe it. But you, you can, can chime you, in you too. Chime so. it if you want to. Um, but conscious imbalance is really about making that conscious choice to sometimes say, I have to be there or I'm going to do this, right? They found with successful female leaders around the world, sometimes they overcorrected to have careers. Sometimes they overcorrected to be at home with families, right? But it was a very conscious choice to do that. So I think we're very conscious about that. And we live it. You know, we have a Sunday meeting where we get together and we kind of game plan for the week. I think we try to live a lot of the advice that uh, uh, that we give to leaders. So here's everything that's on our plate. What are we going to do? What are we going to delegate? What are we going to delete? What are we going to defer? <laughs> How do you use the time management to do it? And I think the other part around that is really understanding where your passions are. So if you look at the groups that we work with, whether it is the Chamber on the Small Business Council or, or the MEC in the past, uh, work with NC4K or Family Mentor Foundation, any of these, or, or my work with uh, Global Board for uh, ICF, those, those are all passions of ours. And I think when you go to where your passions are, you find that it gives you energy, uh, which is really necessary to, to show up and do your best. Bob just dropped some knowledge. The Sunday meeting with do, delegate, delete, and defer. I love it. You're like speaking my language and everybody <laughs> should pick up on that with their partner. And because I take it you guys talk about both the personal and the business side of things in those meetings, Sapna, yes? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. you have to map it out given the way that you all are set up. So where can people learn more about Leverage HR and how can Columbus businesses work with you? As we mentioned throughout the conversation, one of our key values is being personal. Mm -hmm. The way people can reach us, work with us, go to our website, check us out on LinkedIn, connect with us, hit us up for a cup of coffee. Um, we love connecting with new people, growing our network, and, and I personally enjoy hearing people's journeys and their stories. They're also unique. And, um, and I believe there's such an opportunity to connect with folks to support one another in so many different ways and also in turn support our community. We live in a great city and um, it's wonderful that we have such a strong business community where we can support one another. So yeah, leveragehr.com and our LinkedIn pages. Fantastic. So the time goes so quickly in here when we're talking, but I have one other question and it's for both of you. One of the reasons we love to have conversations like this um, is because we believe that that continued personal and professional development is one of the most valuable aspects as a leader in business. And you too live that in the work you do with your clients as well, encouraging that. So I'd love to hear maybe something that's influencing both of you lately. It might be a podcast, a book, some kind of involvement in a group. You've shared some, but both of you could share before we go today. We'd really appreciate it. A book that I'm reading that was advised or recommended from a friend is The Psychology of Money. And it is influencing the way I think about and connect with Bob on what is it that we really want out of our business long-term, short-term, and today. So that's a big influencer for me currently. Giving you some really tactical ways to be able to have the conversation and then carry out your wants. Yes. And philosophically considering what is it that we're driving for? Is it a certain dollar amount? Mm -hmm. um, is it a certain lifestyle? What is it? And, and then architecting our business in a way to achieve that. To achieve it. Yeah. Bob? Yeah, probably the the uh, topic that's most on my mind these days is uh, what we call registry. 
So registry is a group of uh, values, thoughts, beliefs that we really put in front of ourselves that, that give the optic on, on how organizations behave. So um, there's a lot of work right now looking at the last 50 years that shows our optic has been very economically uh, focused. So if you can't measure the value of something, it's not worthwhile. And that can be a very valuable exercise to go down, and it has created a lot of value for organizations. But I think as we look at um, a lot of the challenges we're facing, remember about half of half the people work for companies of about uh, over half of 500 or more. If we could make companies better places, people might drive better, you know, hack better in the supermarket. So that's kind of what gets us out of bed in the morning, right? Having an understanding about what value systems we're looking for and, and allowing people to sort of um, reimagine their organizations around new ways, I think, is probably something that's really on my mind. So there's a group, uh, the Institute for the Future does a lot of work in this. In fact, we just did the first uh, um, of the beginning of the 10-year forecast. So I've been working with Institute for the Future for a while now. Um, but um, but in, in their work, we're, we're, ha we're seeing things where they're going to cities, for example, and saying... You know, you expect to see a library, you expect to see a bank, you expect to see some buses there. What if we imagined it where people cooked together, hmm. you know, or, or did things together in a community? Mm -hmm. That's just a registry that we operate on right now that I either eat with my family or I go out to a restaurant or I go buy my groceries. What if we, what if we changed it? What if we thought about that differently? And where the power is for that with organizations is when you start to think about, for example, what if DEI, for example, diversity, equity, and inclusion was, was the single focus? What services would I offer? What kinds of funding would I do? What would I measure? Now, I'm not saying that would ever be a single focus for an organization. But what if? But what if, if you start understanding what is kind of in your mindset and, and um, uh, really, uh, really filters your views and you play with that a bit, it gives you the opportunity to be quite flexible in thinking about new tomorrows. And our... In our mindset, you know, I think about the nine, to, the nine to five. You know, it's not nine to five for everyone. But what can we do inside our walls or wherever we are doing that nine to five that helps our mental health and the mm -hmm. quality of life we're living when we're in traffic and we're in that grocery checkout line? So there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of good work to done to to do, and you guys have are setting clients up for success. So I really appreciate all of your insight today, and I hope our audience has too. I think they have. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. Sepna and Bob, thank you so both so much. For our listeners, if you want to learn more about Leverage HR, as Sepna just mentioned, please visit leveragehr.com. That's leveragehr.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to let us know by sharing your review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening. We read those reviews, and they also help us decide what we're going to do for the next show. And they also help people find our show and hear stories from the Central Ohio community. We thank you for your time today. CBuzz is proudly produced right here in collaboration with Capital University. And we want to say a special thank you to their talented students, faculty, and staff for helping bring this program to life. Once again, I'm Michaela Hunt, your host for CBuzz. I hope we talk again soon.